Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. Well, this is Palm Sunday, and we do celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus. And and I want you to really kind of wrap your heart around that, your mind around, around that when we understand Jesus and who he is. And as we welcome him, him into our lives, and in this day, maybe in a fresh and whole new perspective, we're talking about Zoe, the life of God. And we've been examining the different aspects of, of Jesus in his, his life, his death, his resurrection. And we'll also be looking at his ascension and his return this month as we study through this. Now, this morning, we asked the question, what is the meaning of life? And I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but there's times in my life I've asked that question, what's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? And personalizing that, what's the meaning and the purpose of my life? Because I think that's a valid question that we need to consider. And when we look to God's word, we can find the true meaning and purpose of life. Now, a key verse we find in John 10.10, if you have your Bibles turned there, Because we want to make it our quest this month to consider the abundant life that Jesus came as we bear in mind what he's done for us. And today we're focusing on his death when we consider what the death of Jesus Christ accomplished for us. But in John 10, 10, and I'm going to actually read verse 11 so often in a scripture text that's used in preaching or teaching the word, we'll share verse 10, but we stop short When we include verse 11, we can see a different dynamic at work. So it says, starting in verse 10, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We understand that Jesus came to bring abundant life, but it cost him everything. He laid down his life for us so we could enjoy life abundantly. When we read this second part of the verse in verse 10 in the Amplified Bible, it reads this way. I came, Jesus speaking, that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer as we look to the Lord. And and I want to uh, lift up the tragedy that occurred in Egypt earlier today. ISIS bombed several churches, and right now the the death count is at 37. And so we want to be mindful of, of our brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering under persecution. And so we just want to go to the Lord right now at this time. Heavenly Father, as we... Are gathered here in this place, we look to you, and we look to your word. We look to you as our source of strength, and we pray for these church congregations in Egypt and the body of Christ in that nation that has come under such attack. We pray for healing, Father, for those who have lost loved ones, that you would extend your mercy in this time of great need. 
Father, we ask that that which the enemy has meant for evil, that you would work this for good in some way, somehow. That you'd reveal truth. That there would, from the ashes, Father, of, of these bombs that were exploded, that there would emerge a move of your spirit, a revival that would sweep the nation and change the hearts of evil men and women. Father, we pray right now, even as believers here, as we stand in faith with them. And Father, we look to your word and we ask that you guide us and instruct us, giving us wisdom and understanding as we explore, Father, the life that you came to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus stated the reason he came to this earth was so that we could have life and enjoy abundant life. We understand that to be a mission statement. And as I shared last week, we see the contrast of two mission statements. We see the mission statement of the thief who is referred to or can be referred to as Satan, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. In contrast with Jesus' mission statement in coming to give life that we may have it abundantly. And so sometimes people conflict the two and they blame God for what the enemy is doing. And they don't understand and identify his work. And so we understand that Jesus came to give life. He's all about life. And I believe when we experience and encounter the life of God, it has a transforming impact upon our lives. It changes us. The truth of the matter is that Jesus wants to improve your quality of life. That's what he came to do. So are you willing to accept this fact as reality, as a personal reality, I believe that it should affect, this passage should affect uh, your perspective of Jesus and your perception of him. The Greek word for life in John 10.10 is the word zoe, which means the life of God or the quality of life as God experiences it. Zoe is defined in Strong's Concordance as life, both physical, which is present, and of spiritual, particularly future existence. So it's not just for this moment, but it's for eternity. Life doesn't end, it goes on, okay? Zoe means eternal life, or we could say God's life. This kind of life is God's nature that produces certain changes in us. When we encounter the life of God, we do not stay the same. We're changed, we're transformed, we're impacted. And you see the effects of that life in the person's habits, in their speech, in their conduct. You see the impact of what his life accomplishes. Now, let me ask you a question. What is your understanding of Jesus? If you've been in the Word, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you should have a fairly good perception or understanding of who Jesus is. And we understand and realize that our understanding of Jesus has been shaped by different cultural influences. Yet we cannot forget that Jesus totally identified with us in our humanness, in our weakness, in our temptation, and everything about what we experience in this life, except that he came to show us a new way of living, a new way of approaching life, a new way of dealing with problems and, and situations that we're confronted with. The message of Jesus is timeless, but we realize that his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, 
all took place in the real world at a very specific time. And so we reflect back to what Jesus did in that specific time, but we realize the impact of that affects us right now in this present time and also transcends into the future, okay? And so we understand, I want to take you to a little story. I'm going to just narrate this to you, and you can write the reference down. In Matthew 16, verse 21 through 23, Jesus, after asking the question, who do men say that I am? And Peter responded. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus actually commended him for that statement. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. So immediately after that, Jesus began to share what was going to transpire in the very near future. How he would be arrested, how he would be betrayed, and how he would be turned over to the Romans and crucified. And in that very moment, Peter... And I'm sure the rest of the disciples did not want to hear that. They did not want to hear that Jesus was going to die. And so uh, Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. said, no, this isn't going to happen. And it turned out that Jesus ended up rebuking Peter. And he said to the point, get thee behind me, Satan. Knowing that although well intended, that Jesus dying was in the plan of God to benefit humanity. And, you know, it's, it's important to realize that Jesus' disciples who accepted him did not want him to die. However, the religious leaders that rejected him did not want him to live. But the reality is that he had to die for both those who had accepted him and for those that had rejected him. His death is something we must acknowledge. The death of Jesus must be acknowledged and understood in order to impact us. In fact, it, it cannot be ignored or dismissed. We have the historic account of his death that resulted in a spiritual impact upon humanity for all of eternity. And we must, we must consider the account of Jesus' death and what implications it has in this world. I want you to look with me at John chapter 19. And here we see the account. Every gospel has an account of Jesus' death. Is dying, And I'm going to show a portion of that from the Gospel of John, starting at verse 16 and chapter 19. And starting in verse 16, it reads, So he delivered him, referring to Pilate, over to them to be crucified. Now, crucifixion, I'll just pause here. That was the capital punishment of the day. Crucifixion, very painful. Death, a very humiliating way to die. So they took Jesus, verse 17, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Verse 18, there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Dropping down to verse 28 in chapter 19, we continue to read, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We need to understand that Jesus gave up his life 
it was not taken from him. He gave his life because he being the way, the truth, and the life could not die by natural means. Even if somebody today would shoot him with a bullet right through the heart, he wouldn't die because he's full of life. But he chose to lay his life down for us. I want to share with you this morning uh, three points concerning what is the impact of his death. And these three things, I believe, are important. And we could have a whole lot longer list of the impact of his death. But I want to highlight three particular things for you this morning. So what is the impact of his death? Number one, his death was the ultimate sacrifice that brought redemption. His death was the ultimate sacrifice that brought redemption. Now you might say, well, what's redemption? I mean, we have a concept of what redemption is in our mind. But redemption means to purchase back. It means to redeem something. I have a little story to tell you. I, the first time I went to Israel, we went to Haifa. And they have a diamond factory there. And they have diamond mines in that particular region of Israel. And so we went into this factory and, you know, I was very impressed with the whole process of, of cutting the diamonds and all that. And I made a promise the first time I was there. I said, the next time I come to Israel, I'm going to come and I'm going to purchase a diamond. And whoever my wife is going to be, that will be the diamond that will be set in the engagement ring. So that was my commitment. I was single at the time. And so while in Haifa, you know, there, you know, I, I just made that personal pledge and commitment. So the second time, which was about two years later, visited Israel, I went to, and I saved up my money. It's good to do when, if you're going to buy a diamond. And so we go to Haifa, and I purchased this diamond. And it was uh, a nice diamond, although any woman would like a bigger diamond than they get, but they don't say it, right? They're just trying to get it, okay? And so... Uh, a couple of years later, and I still wasn't married yet. I was still uh, pastoring single. We, we were getting ready to build this auditorium. This was back in, in 1987, about that time, as we were beginning to plan and build and, and raise funds. And in prayer one day, I felt like the Lord spoke to me to donate my diamond to the billing fund. And, you know, now this thing, I won't tell you the full price, but it was well over $1,000, and I thought, oh, God, I saved for that. That was going to be for my, the person I'm going to be engaged to. And at that time, I didn't know it was going to be this lovely lady here, Debbie. And so I can remember, I said, okay, I'm going to be obedient. I gave that diamond. And then I realized, I can redeem that diamond. Somebody's going to have to buy that diamond from the church at its value. And so guess who was the one who bought that diamond back? This guy. So that diamond is a redeemed diamond that paid twice as much than what it was actually worth. But God got half of it and uh, the diamond factory got the other half of it. And so, and, and by the way, if you buy directly from the factory, great discount, 40, 50% discount. So the diamond's probably worth more than what my wife realizes. But anyway... So to redeem means to buy back. See, we were lost and bound by sin. And God lost the control and influence of our lives because of sin. And Satan was in dominion and rule. 
But a purchase price had to be made to redeem us. And we see the scripture in Ephesians 1.7. Um, Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So there was a price that had to be paid to redeem us. And Jesus was willing to be that sacrifice and pay that price. And see, when you understand the value of who Jesus is, if you were to consider or set a price upon his life, there was no way that that could be purchased with the wealth of this world. That's why Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Because you are worth more than all the entire collected riches or the entire wealth of this world, all collected together. You're worth more than that, according to Jesus' own statement. But the Son of God, God himself, is priceless. And what's interesting, he didn't just make the ultimate sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice. In Romans 5.8, the scripture says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. So even when we were still sinning and in our mess, he did it for us then, hoping that maybe we would accept him and receive him. And thankfully, many of us in this room have. And hopefully, if, if you haven't, today will be the day that that happens. In John 15, 13, and I want to share this because I think this is relevant. Jesus made a statement. He said, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, and isn't that noble for somebody, you know? Um, I have friends here. How many of you think I'm your friend? Or how many of you are my friend? Lift your hand, okay? Okay. Ah, okay. Then that means okay, the greatest love that I can express to you, lay my life down, I'll die for you. And, you know, I'm, and I, I, I believe I'd be willing to do that if it came right down to it. I'd lay my life down for you because I love you. I value you as a person. But you know what? The love of God goes a step beyond that, a level beyond that. Because the level that we can as humans love is to lay down our life for our friends. But Jesus, in divine love, laid down his life for his enemies. Those who hated him, those who rejected him, those who despised him. Now that's love, to be able to do that. And so that's the God kind of love that we now possess. And what's interesting, um, human love has limits. Divine love has no limits. That's good to write down if you're taking notes. I'll say it again for the note takers. Human love has its limits. Divine love has no limits. Okay? Uh, Detective Jason Wheland gave the ultimate sacrifice in the line of duty almost three weeks ago in a neighboring community in Rothschild. I was uh, able to attend the funeral and be part of, as a chaplain, we were part of the police procession. And there were probably about 2,000 police, law enforcement officers from all over the nation, even Canada, that came for that funeral. It was very moving. And the minister got up there, and as he was sharing the message at the funeral, he said something very interesting. He said, human nature is normally uh, afraid of death, and flees from danger. And even lions will flee from danger because of self-preservation. See, human nature and instinct is preservation. We need to preserve ourselves. So when there's danger, human nature demands that we run from it. But 
Those who serve in law enforcement, those who serve in our military, run to the danger to defend innocent life, willing to sacrifice themselves. And that's what Officer Jason Whelan did in the line of duty. And, and we realize that Jesus ran to the danger. He came on the scene to defend us, to lay down his life so that we could live, so we could be set free. So Hebrews 9, 26, we see a passage that identifies the sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews 9, 26, the second part of that verse says, But as it is, he has appeared once for all, that includes everyone in this room, at the end of this age, end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He sacrificed himself. So number one, his death was the ultimate sacrifice that brought redemption. Number two, his death brought life and reconciliation. That's another biblical term, reconciliation. You know what reconciliation is? It's a powerful word. To reconcile two parties that are in opposition, to bring them together in harmony and unity. That's what reconciliation is all about. But there's another dimension of that word. It means to be restored to favor once again. See, sin and, and, and our lives being so messed up, we lost favor with God. But God, in his effort through Jesus, brought about reconciliation to restore us back to favor with himself. And we see uh, in this passage, in, in fact, Second uh, Corinthians, and we'll come back to a couple, I'm going to skip over a couple of verses here. But Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 it's referring to the new creation in the context of what we're reading. But verse 18 says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, that's our message. You know, we're not to go out there and say, you filthy, downright sinner, you're going to hell. You better stop your sinning. Do you think that's a message that's going to win people over? No, they're going to turn tail and run from you. The message we're to tell people is, hey, God's not mad at you anymore. Did you know that you have favor with God? That he's already reconciled? He's paid a price so you can freely come back to him? So that you can accept his love and, and receive his forgiveness? So that your life can be transformed? Are you having issues? Are you having challenges in your life? Well, God has extended his favor to you because he wants to make a difference in your life. See, that's a message of reconciliation that we have. In, in John chapter 5, 24, we, we see that his death brought life on the scene. John 5, 24, Jesus states, truly, truly. And, and when he, Jesus says, truly, truly, twice, twice, what does that mean? You better Listen. Because this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What's interesting about this, that this is in the present tense, that we can receive eternal life from the here and now. So that means physical death is going to be different for us because we're just passed from physical uh, from this physical life into divine life. We'll just step right through that door. In Romans chapter 6, verse 8, the scripture tells us, and this is something I believe we need to identify with. Now, if we have died with Christ, 
we believe that we also live with him. Now, this is also in the present tense. We also live with him. We identify with him by believing and receiving him as our Savior and Lord. Wow. I could say more about that, but we're going to share point number three. You ready? Ready to write? Note takers. <laughs> What's the impact of his death? Number three, his death conquered sin and the powers of darkness. His death conquered sin and the powers of darkness. See, when sin came into this world through Adam and Eve, it's bred to all of humanity. It's bred like, like a disease. In John, or Romans 5, verse 12, Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into this world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It spread. So we've all been infected with death, spiritual death. See, for Jesus to conquer death, he first had to conquer sin, and we see that he was successful when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He overcame that. The Bible says he is tempted in all points as we, yet without sin. He didn't yield to the temptation. He wasn't overcome by it. So that qualified him once he conquered sin to deal with death. But that required for him to die, to conquer death. In Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 13, we, we see the Apostle Paul laying this out there in a very plain way. So then you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now think about it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would take the note, see if, if how many mortgages are out there. You have maybe auto loan, a home mortgage. There is a record somewhere with a document showing that you owe some financial institution a certain amount of money. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody came along and paid it in full and put debt canceled? And then you got this notice in the mail, your debt has been canceled. How many of you would have a happy day? Yes, I, I believe you would. You'd have a happy day, maybe more than just a happy day. You could go on a picnic, go for a Sunday drive, or do something to celebrate that happy day, okay? And so we realize this, that Jesus literally did that because our sin became a debt that we couldn't pay. And he paid that debt with his very life, with the ransom of his life. In verse 14, it says, By canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and back then, if, if your debt was canceled, they'd actually come to your house and somewhere in the house they would nail the debt cancellation right to the, to the side of the house or to the doorpost or something. But this cancellation of our sin's debt was nailed to the cross. Verse 15, along with that, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, Satan, his kingdom, lost authority and dominion over us. And they don't have to rule over us anymore. Now the challenge today is I bring this to a close. I do have a challenge for you. Because we, we talk about Jesus' death and what it cost him. But as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, it is required for you two to die. But that's a death 
to selfishness. That's a, a death to self-will. It's a death to just always doing things your way and wanting your way. Because I want to ask you this question, what kind of impact will your life have? Along with this question, what kind of impact will your death have? And hopefully when we get to the age where we, we leave this body, we leave this earth, hopefully that our death and how we live our life will have an impact, in, that we'll leave a legacy behind. But yet, we need to consider how death relates to us in this moment of time and what we may be dealing with. We need to consider what we are willing to live for and also what we're willing to die for. And some, some people, they're not living for a whole lot because they haven't really thought about it and they haven't really thought about what they're willing to die for. And I'm not necessarily referring to physical death. That's something to consider. I'm referring to death to self, which is not a popular concept in today's culture. Yet Jesus exemplified it. Death to his self because he became a servant. See, we are not to live selfish lives. And this is my challenge for you today. We, we need to address selfishness. Because we all deal with it. It's part of human nature. Don't live for yourself. We must die to self. Now, what do I mean by self? I mean selfishness, self-interest, self-centered living. All that stuff that doesn't really give consideration to those around you. Because you're so focused on yourself. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. And, and we'll be looking at this passage and I want you to consider this. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing. He said, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus, I die daily. What, what does he mean by that? Well, he's obviously referring to dying to his self-will, his self-interest, his selfishness. In fact, in order for us to do this, as believers, we must be willing to embrace the cross because the cross is the place where flesh dies so that we can live out our life in Christ. The Apostle Paul, and Jesus told us to pick up your cross and follow me. So we have to somehow embrace the cross of Jesus Christ where our selfish interests will die so that we can allow the life of God, the zoe, to begin to reflect from our being. That's God's intent for each of us. So my question this morning, and I have a lot of questions for you this morning. How many of you think, I don't like going to church and getting all those questions. Is it going to be a test? Oh yeah, there'll be a test. Okay, but, but the questions are good for you to reflect and consider issues in your own life. Sometimes we don't ask enough questions. And so we're just going about in life and and we're not really effective in what we're called to do. So what do we need to die to? Maybe it's habitual sin. Maybe it's fleshly desires that is pulling you or keeping you in a place of bondage so that you're not free. You can die to that habitual sin today. We can have a funeral, okay? Um, maybe it's a dream that conflicts with the purpose of God for your life. And I'm going to share this real quickly. You know, upon graduating from high school, my desire, even through high school, was to be an architect. And so, you know, I took courses in high school that 
supported that. You know, the math things were the toughest for me. Um, you know, some of that stuff, I, don't, I can't even pronounce the names of some of those subjects, but they're difficult. But knowing that I was going to be an architect, I needed to learn this stuff, so I'd need to bear with it and go through it. But I can remember even applying for a scholarship and getting a scholarship, and I'm all set to go. I enroll, and, and I got to a place that God began to deal with my life, showing me that that was not my future, that he had a calling on my life. Instead of going to uh, architect school, I ended up going to Bible school to get a foundation for the ministry and the calling that I was to serve. And I, I realized that I had to sacrifice that, and it was real hard. I can remember what I went through and giving that up. As much as I wanted that, that was my desire, I had to die to that dream because it wasn't God's dream. And so maybe you have a dream that doesn't match God's dream for your life. You need to die to that. And maybe it is God's dream, but out of death comes life. Did you know that? Except a kernel of wheat is, is sown into the ground. The scripture says it abides alone, but out of the death it has to rot. And then out of that death comes new life. And so maybe it's that dream. Now, the nice thing about being a pastor in that, over the years I've, I've been able to design buildings. So that architect thing has come in handy. And so um, that's kind of a blessing. Um, maybe you need to die to selfish desire. Maybe your desires are self-centered, self-focused. Is it selfish interest that potentially destroy others? Maybe that's the issue you need to die to today. Colossians 3, 2 and 3, it says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I don't have time to really get into that, but that's a good passage. I encourage you to study that out. What does it mean that we have died and that our life is now hidden with Christ in God? See, out of death comes life. In John 12, 24, and I'll share this scripture as the worship team comes up here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, God desires your life to bear much fruit. But are you willing to die today to self, to self-interest, realizing what the death of Jesus did for us and accomplished for us? See, so many of us are afraid of dying. So many of us are afraid of death. And we don't know how to deal with it because, you know, we, we don't want to face it. We don't want to even give thought to it. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, So since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, he shared what we share in life. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, you don't have to be afraid of death if you know where you're going. Jesus, when he raised or was about to raise Lazarus, he declared to Martha and Mary, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, shall live. See, Jesus brought life to us so that we could truly live. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around at this time because I want you to look at your own heart and 
and, and ask yourself the question, have I made my peace with God? Because a lot of times if I'm visiting somebody and it's the, the elderly and they're in the hospital, that's the question I'll ask them. Have you made your peace with God? And if they say, no, I don't think I have, then that's something that they need to do. And my question to you, have you made your peace with God? Because when you make your peace with God, then you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You can face death knowing where you're going when you die. Maybe you're hearing to say, Pastor, I've never really committed my life to Jesus Christ. I've never really accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've gone to church and, and that's good, but making a commitment to follow Jesus and be his disciple is something far different than just going to church. It's a decision to give your life to him. If you're here and you say, I've, I've never really done that, Pastor, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing and ready to make my peace with God and accept him as my Lord and Savior, I want you just to lift your hand. And I'd be honored to pray with you to receive Jesus, to receive his forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life so that you can experience what he has for you, his life. Let's stand up together. We're going to pray this prayer. If you responded, the Spirit of God is moving in your heart right now to make you peace with Him. This is a big deal. As I lead in this prayer, I'm going to ask that you repeat after me. And a little bit later, the prayer team will be up here and we're going to invite you to come forward for prayer. For anybody that has need for prayer in any area of your life that you just want somebody to join their faith with you, the prayer team will be here. If you're giving your heart to Jesus, if you're surrendering your life to him for the very first time, they will be here to pray with you as well. But we're going to lead you in this prayer right now, so repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. Thank you for sending Jesus, who came that I might have life, that I might have it abundantly. I believe he died for my sins, and I believe he rose from the dead to give me new life. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I acknowledge you as my Lord, and I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, make my life what you want it to be. Now, in your own words, just talk to him. Make your peace with him. Ask for forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, I thank you for everyone that's here. I thank you for pouring out your spirit upon their lives. And in this crucial time, oh God, convict us in the areas where we need to die to selfishness, to dreams that conflict with your purpose and will. Help us to come to the place as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane declared, not my will, but thy will be done. Heavenly Father, we submit our lives, our hearts to you. And we invite you to do a work in us so that your life can truly be displayed in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.